Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Gary. I came to collect hard copies of me and Jimmy's new contracts. I got them right here. These are a lot thinner than our last ones. Now, Mr. Winter is all about deregulation. He says simplicity and freedom are the keys to success. Yeah, except what I've heard from Nick Totopoulos is our new boss doesn't like accountability and is very good at indebting people to him with favors. I know, right? I couldn't believe how slippery he's been in the past. But Raymond told me that Winter has at least three of his Denim Law School classmates on retainer. God help us if he manages to hire Raymond. No, I won't let that happen. Besides, he knows better after everything that happened with the board last year. Nearly losing your best friend because of them will do that. Best friend might be a bit of a stretch. But Raymond always tells me I'm an even better paralegal now that Mr. Osako is our investigator. Freed up so much of my time for actual legal work. Speaking of which, how are the class action lawsuit and my pseudo-sister's legal personhood status case coming along? Huh. Remember that uh, bonus you got in the last paycheck? You mean Winter's thinly disguised bribe? Yeah. When he bought a controlling share, his lawyers negotiated a deal with the legal action team and settled out of court. <laughs> Affected employees are getting their portions as bonuses in their paychecks. Why am I not surprised that Winter continues to be as slick as his overgelled hair? <sighs> He even wants the board to owe him some favors. To quote a certain Mr. Kenobi, we must be cautious. Ain't that the truth. But as for Jessica, well, I've been meeting with her a lot about her case. Have you? Yeah, and uh, once again, things got better when Winter took over. I'll explain more when it's finalized. Uh, Attorney-client privileges, you know. Uh-huh. Changing topics, uh, it sounds like you're talking a lot more Power Rangers now. Yeah, between Henshin Men and the Power Trip, I'm talking about tokusatsu superheroes as much as I am kaiju these days. I even saw some ranger flicks on the MIFE schedule this season. <laughs> I guess I got bit by the bug after finding out I was working with a former ranger. Hmm. I hope Corona's is doing better. Oh, I love the Power Trip's kick-ass theme song. Heck yeah! That's a Neil Stenson cover of Go Go Power Rangers. Did somebody say Go Ranger? No, I said Go Go. Oh, that brings back so many memories. Did you watch Himitsu Sentai Go Ranger growing up? No, genius. I was a Go Ranger. Say what? Let me tell you all about it. Oh boy. Strap in, Nate. Most people, if they've heard of Go Ranger, know about those G-Men and one dame who worked for the Japanese branch of Eagle. Eagle? The EGL, the Earth Guardian League. Never heard of them. Exactly. We were more secretive than Al Capone's tax problems. Except that's how... But the Japanese branch wasn't the only one with costumed Pinkertons. Eagle had those super suits sent to a few other divisions, including mine. I was Ranger number five in my unit, and let me tell you, I love being togged to the bricks in that thing. Back then, we didn't need transformation doohickeys or overgrown automatons to get the job done. We were 20th century Minutemen who flew our missions in the snazziest jet aeroplane you ever saw. But the best part was my green orang. 
Maybe a black cross army man felt the sting of justice when I threw that, let me tell you. Right. Oh, there was that one time I visited the land of the rising sun on vacation and ended up being a decoy for the Japanese Mido Ranger. Let me tell you, Buster, Tommy Oliver would have nothing if not for me. I was the original, the real McCoy. Okay. Do you still have the suit and boomerang? Yes, but... Uh, then let's see them. Well, you see, I don't have them with me. They're still locked away in a safe in my summer home back in Kenosha. Well, I'm no lawyer, but if there's anything I've learned from the ones I know, it's that unless you have evidence to corroborate your story, it's just hearsay. You're on, Mr. Marchand. I'll get my nephew Aston. Aston Martin? Of course. I'll get him on the horn and tell him to dangle them to the island. Then you'll be eating your words three meals a day for a week. Abyssinia. And I thought Jimmy told tall tales. I think Raymond's read too many Daredevil comics. An ex-superhero lawyer? We've dealt with weirder things. True, but I'll believe it when I see it. Anyway, I gotta get to KIJU. I'm talking Rodan with Kaiju Kim. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. See ya. See ya. Live from the KIJU studios in beautiful Ogasawara, this is the Monster Island Film Vault, episode 57, Rodan 1956 featuring Kaiju Kim. Hello, Kaiju lovers, and welcome to the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast seeking entertainment and enlightenment. Through Tokusatsu, I am your host, Monster Island's very own film curator, Nate Marchand. And yes, my intrepid producer, Jimmy from NASA. No episode of The Film Vault would be complete without you. There, you happy? Sure. Now go stroke your own eagle for a while. I'm done. Anyway, <laughs> today we are getting back to my sub-series, Godzilla Redux, because by popular demand and because Godzilla is good for business, I decided to start covering the Godzilla franchise again, even though I already did it in my previous podcast life. But you know what? This is one of those rare instances where the remake is better than the original. There, I said it. And joining me for this momentous occasion is... A returning guest, in fact, she was on just a few short months ago. You know her, you love her, YouTuber and Godzilla's chillest fangirl, Kaiju Kim. How's it going, Kim? It's going great, Nathan. Thanks for having me back on the show. Uh, it's an honor to have the, shall we say, Kaiju Queen <laughs> on the show we were chatting a little bit before going on the air about that how that was at one point going to be your moniker <laughs> yeah but i figured you know just have it being my name would be more personal and feels more like me because i don't really consider myself a queen although i am kind of a queen <laughs> <laughs> i like the confidence I, I will admit the writer in me really appreciates the alliteration with kaiju kim that's very nice but as we were also discussing <laughs> kaiju queen would be a great name for a band particularly a band that does kaiju theme covers of queen songs 
I am now holding auditions for a singer, a guitar player, a bass player, a drum player. Um, all roles are available. Um, please uh, follow me on Twitter. And uh, no, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. Somebody, somebody out there in the ether is now going to start Kaiju Queen. I'm just, you know, you may want to become their manager or something like that. You know, just in case. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, now I mentioned that this is part of a sub-series that I'm doing called Godzilla Redux, but I'm going to hold off on talking about that because first things first, how did you get to the island? Oh, <laughs> uh, it's very simple. I just... Took a little cruise, a Monster Island cruise, got some souvenirs, got a Godzilla snow globe and some Mothra wings. You know how Disney World has, you know, the Mickey Mouse ears? I oh, got yes. Mothra wings for this. Oh, that, yeah. those are wonderful, actually. I didn't realize that they made some for adults. I thought those were usually for the kiddos. Oh, I, I stole it from a kid. <gasps> how dare you? I'm the queen. This is true. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> traumatizing children aside <laughs> oh you've upset jimmy <laughs> sorry jimmy oh man you gotta you, you don't want to mess with jimmy too much he was a gamer kid just saying mm. oh yeah that's true mm -hmm. him and him and his best friend masao they helped gamera save the world from aliens he keeps he reminds me of that every freaking day good for you jimmy good for you yeah uh, you know i guess you know what did the what of what did the rest of us do by the time we were 10 you know <laughs> yeah well <laughs> did you jimmy hope canceled. oh <laughs> I, Ladies and gentlemen, we have our first cancellation of the episode. Jimmy from NASA has officially been canceled. Oh, snap. I know what I'm doing from our next Jimmy meme. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh, shut up. It's an honor nowadays to be immortalized as a meme. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so, so as I was saying, so I, that sounds fun. I had heard about that. That's a new development, actually, the Monster Island Cruise. Because for many years, the only way that you could actually come to visit Ogasawara, because there's a big tourist city in Ogasawara, was to come by boat. So, like, obviously, they have expanded that to be a cruise. And what better thing to see on your cruise than kaiju, obviously, yeah, it was really fun. I, I got to see, uh, you know, Kong and Godzilla and Gamera and all that fun stuff. Yeah, and I saw Rodan, too. I was going to say. you're going to be talking about Rodan today, aren't we? Yes, in his debut film from 1956. So some of you might be thinking, hey, that's not a Godzilla film. To which I say, so what? <laughs> it's my I dang mean... show, and it's technically part <laughs> of the shared Showa Godzilla universe. So be quiet. Yeah, Rodan, has, <laughs> Rodan has appeared in multiple Godzilla films, but before that, he starred in his own film. This is true. Also, David Callet, in his book of essays about the quote-unquote Godzilla series, includes Rodan. So if you're going to yeah, argue so. with me, you better go argue with Mr. Callet. And your argument is invalid. Obviously. <laughs> 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 well, I'm covering Rodan. Your argument is invalid. There's a hype yes. meme right there. 
I'm on a roll. Yes. Let's keep that or let's keep that going. So yes, we'll be talking about Rodan 1956, which uh, I f- the reason I'm having you on is because you grew up with this movie. You want to tell everybody a little bit about your connections with this film? Well, Rodan is actually the only non-Godzilla kaiju film that I really grew up with. I mean, there was Gorgo, but I'm more familiar with Rodan. I saw it a whole bunch of times as a kid, and I, I remember watching it a lot of times. But yeah, Rodan's always been part of my childhood. He's part of the Toho Big Five, and I've always been a fan of Rodan. Ah. He's a and, good boy. Yeah. Well, and I'm just going to say this right up front. Rodan never looked as good as he did in this movie until 2019. <laughs> uh, I can't argue with you there. I think I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So was this the first film that you ever saw Rodan in, or did you see Rodan in a Godzilla film before this? Good question. I can't remember exactly when I saw this film. I, I feel like I saw Rodan first, and then I saw Ghidra, the three-headed monster. I'm like, oh, hey, Rodan. Okay. I had to ask because I didn't see Rodan until I was a little bit farther along in my kaiju fandom. In fact, I don't think I saw this film until I was in college. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So mostly because it was just a little bit harder to come by, admittedly. And right now, if you want to see the movie, which I do recommend that you do. Otherwise, why are you listening to this podcast? Unless you just love kaiju Kim that much, at which point... Welcome. Anyway, (laughs) uh, I think the only way to easily see this movie now is to watch it, at least outside of Japan, is to watch it on HBO Max. And it's only the dub version because apparently Criterion owns the distribution rights to it now, but they haven't released it on Blu-ray or anything. No, not on Blu-ray. I do have the DVD that's it's paired with War of the Gargantuas. Oh, that's 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 a a fantastic edition. Yeah. But are those out of print now? Yeah, they're out of print. Like, oh, if yeah. you go look for that DVD set on eBay, hmm, be prepared to pay a hefty penny. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. I know, I know. But, you know, this is the things that I have to deal with. As the film curator here on the island, be prepared for random British people. Okay, it just happens. I- <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so that's fun. So... To get us started, Kim, would you like to give us a little plot synopsis for the film? All right, sure. Let's see then. So basically, oh, here we go. The British accent's coming out. I don't know what happens. It happens when I get nervous. <laughs> it's okay. Maybe my old boss, uh, well, the envoy for my for my bosses, he'll be listening and he'll be like, that British accent is completely wrong. And then he'll remind himself that he's actually half Scottish. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Right, so the plot synopsis, according to IMDb, is a mining engineer investigates the death of his fellow co-workers and discovers prehistoric nymphs nymphs, emerging from the mines. As he heads deeper into the mines, he makes a more horrifying discovery in the form of a prehistoric flying creature. That basically sums it up right there. And yes, nymphs is actually the term for things like insect larvae. Huh. I I feel like I knew that, but then I forgot. Yeah. Nymphs are beings from Greek mythology. They were nature spirits, and they would inhabit different things 
like forests and water in particular. And since a lot, and I think if I remember correctly, since uh, you can correct me if you want in your blog, Jimmy, since a lot of insects lay their eggs and such in water, that's why they call them nymphs. Oh, okay. I think I've heard, I've heard of nymphs in Greek mythology and I imagine them being like, you know, like these pretty little godlike women or something. Yes. Yes. <laughs> unfortunately, but, uh, I, I, <laughs> unfortunately, nymph has been cannibalized a little bit to mean other things that are not entirely family friendly. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was going to say, cause the, the nymphs in this film are absolutely disgusting looking. Yes. <laughs> The, the shall we start? Uh, shall we start that. our discussion with the Mega Nulon then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, might as well. We're already there. <laughs> yeah, we're already there. But yeah, the first monsters that appear in this—that's the interesting thing. The movie actually plays on some expectations a little bit at first. So we have the advertised monster. You can't get around it. It's like bam, Rodan, pterodactyl, pteranodon, whatever name you want to use, flying dinosaur. All right. And then you're watching the movie, and he doesn't show up until halfway in. And before that, we had the bug monsters. <laughs> yeah, I like this movie. It starts off as a whodunit, like who's mm-hmm. killing all the miners. And then it turns into a monster movie, like a regular monster movie with the Mega Nulon. And then finally, we get our main kaiju. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, what did, you, what did you think of the Mega Nulon? We don't have any Mega Nulon on the island right now because they're... God. they're weird and creepy and gross <laughs> although occasionally some get brought on because rodan still likes to eat them oh <laughs> uh, yeah that's that's his breakfast for the day yes yeah that and that, that oh, it's better we prefer to do that than feed him dolphins you know the, the environmentalists get mad at us yeah dolphins, dolphins are cute feed them yeah. feed feed the mega nulons because they're they're nasty i hate insects in general so <laughs> i find these things but, to be incredibly disgusting and if i saw one in my house that house would then belong to that mega nulon <laughs> and i would have to move but, but mothra <laughs> uh, all right mothra's kind of cute though <laughs> except as a worm <laughs> But yeah, that's anyway, true. Mothra, uh, not Mothra, Rodan. <laughs> More Rodan, here we More go. Rodan, yeah. but yeah, I, I don't, I don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> it's his house now. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the noise is probably the most unnerving part about that, which is funny yeah. because I was reading Stuart Galbraith's book and his entry on this movie and he, he thought that the noise that the Mega Nulon make was really annoying, and it sounded like two, as he put it, two balloons being rubbed together. It does kind of sound like that, actually. Which I think is I think part, it. but I think that's part of what makes it unnerving. Yeah. Just. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded eerily similar to a Matongo laugh. Anyway. <laughs> or, or actually uh, that it also sounds like a boltan laugh which is also an insect ah. <laughs> connections anyway yeah, how about that yeah but i did find some interesting thing i actually think that they're pretty well executed in this movie i found that that it took three crew members to operate those things oh wow because they needed yeah, those two are huge yeah they needed six hands for the legs wow that's but, a lot. Yeah. But they are vicious. They're not little. They're big critters. They're vicious, big critters. 
Uh, it's kind of unnerving to think that if those are larvae, what do they turn into? <laughs> Oof. Well, if we're going by Godzilla versus Megaguirus, they turn yeah, into they turn, a giant friggin'. That is true. Maybe we shouldn't yeah, be no, feeding no. any Mega Nulon to Rodan because that might make Mama Megaguirus uh, Ma- Me- upset. Oh, dear. And we don't yeah, want... That would, not, that would not be a good time for anybody. Yeah, no, it would not. Yeah. Mama Giras. <laughs> Mama Giras, I love it. <laughs> I'm gonna have to save that one for later. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Mama Giras. Anyway, Mama. so like you said, it starts off as a whodunit. So where there are miners who are dying, and they're trying to figure out what's going. They think it's actually someone going around murdering people, mm-hmm. and then they find out it's a monster. So in a lot of ways, this is very much like an American monster movie from the 50s this sounds like something that you would definitely see happening it's actually have you ever seen them the movie them that's on my long list of things that i need to watch okay Uh, i'm just wondering because that is slated to be covered on z podcast this uh, this season and i will have john lemay on to talk about that one because he lives in the same state where the movie takes place interesting yes but I saw a lot of people saying in my research that the por- portions of the movie with the Mega Nulon are very reminiscent of them. And I can see that, you know, the, with the giant ants and them running around causing trouble. And there's a lot of things that are very similar to the in the beginning of them to this one with the ants killing people off screen and and going after people out in the middle of nowhere and things like that because that's the other thing that's interesting about this movie it's very it's it's very similar to godzilla 54 in a lot of ways it was made by the same creative team Mm -hmm. you know your honda subaraya ifakube it even actually shared one of the same one of the the same screenwriters i found out oh yeah Takeo Murata, who was one of the co-writers on Godzilla 54. But the oh, story yeah. the story treatment was originally by Ken Kuronuma, not to be confused with the Simeon leader and one of my bosses, as <laughs> he be on the board. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a lot like a friend of ours, which is a little disconcerting. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the, the most noteworthy one of the three screenwriters who worked on this was Takeshi Kimura. Have you heard the name Takeshi Kimura before, Kim? I have. Yeah. He also went by the name Kaoru Mabuchi later on in his career. He was one <laughs> of the two go-to screenwriters for Toho. The other one being Shinichi Sakazawa. Mm-hmm. And I think this was the first, as far as I know, I think this is at least the first toku or kaiju film he worked on i don't think it was the first thing he ever wrote for toho but this is the first time he did one of these and he was very different from sekizawa sekizawa was a very happy-go-lucky guy and was all about living life to the fullest because you you know life is short so enjoy yourself that was basically his philosophy Mm -hmm. (laughs) kimura was the (laughs) polar opposite Oh no. <laughs> he was a he was a very serious dour man. <laughs> oh, that's no fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh he famously had a conversation with Sekazawa one time and he asked Sekazawa if he actually enjoyed writing all of these kaiju films and he said, "Yeah, I think it's really fun." To which Kimura said, "Not for me." <laughs> 
Nope. <laughs> he's like the Eeyore. Yeah, he's very Eeyore. He's very Eeyore. <laughs> very pessimistic, man. They were both war veterans, and the war had polar opposite effects on them. It made Kimura much more cynical, and it made Sekizawa appreciate life even more. So oh, Sekizawa sounds like a good guy. Oh, he sounds like he would have been a heck of a lot of fun. A heck of a yeah. lot of fun. But the other thing that's... And you'll see it. You can see it in this film. Is the other thing that was interesting about Kimura is that he, unlike Sekizawa, Sekizawa was very apolitical. Mm-hmm. Kimura was a card-carrying member of the Japanese Communist Party. <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> communism. Uh, that's yeah. a, that's so, an interesting hobby, yes. to say the least. Yeah. So this was written by a communist. And you can, Wonderful. if you pay enough attention to it, you can see shades of it in here. It's not hitting you over the head with anything, but you can see it. We're talking about this is takes place in a mining town, which is one of the things that makes it different than Godzilla 54, where that took place in Tokyo in this big metropolitan area. This is out in the middle of nowhere in a mining town, which is already kind of interesting because Japan doesn't have a lot of its own energy resources. So they have to import most everything that they get. So the fact that there's a coal mining town is impressive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you have the miners. and So they're this literal underclass. All right. And mm-hmm. if you see how the, you know, these white collar people that are in this, the scientists, the government officials, the police, if you see how they get treated, like I said, it's pretty subtle, but they're not presented in the most pleasant of lights. Yeah. <laughs> they don't believe, nobody believes the scientists when, uh, unlike in Godzilla 54, there's, they immediately mm-hmm. believe, oh yeah, Godzilla's real. Yeah, they, uh, they say, oh, Rodan. They're like, ah, oh, no. No. No, no. You're dumb. You're yeah, stupid. you're silly, you know. Or when the police hear about people dying, there's some reactions from where they seem a little bit amused by this. I'm like, really? Uh, <laughs> not the reaction we're going for, sir. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's, it's not very pleasant. <laughs> yeah. Early on, the doctors don't know what the heck is going on. And then what mm-hmm. ends up happening, it's the working class people that take action and start to figure out what is going on. That's usually how it goes down, isn't it? Yep. Generally in speaking, especially films. in a Kimura script. He was very fond of writing about outsiders who didn't fit into society and they would be rejected by authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just so everybody knows, he continued to write for Toho all the way up until the early 70s. The last, well, unfortunately, he's not credited. And if you talk to Danny DeManna and I, our theory is that the fact that he didn't get credited is we think is why he quit. But the last full script that he wrote for Toho was an early draft of what became Godzilla versus Gigan. But he doesn't get credited, even though they used a lot of his stuff for the final script. Rude. Yeah. So we think that's why he quit. And then the last credit that he has to his name is he gets a story credit for a movie. You just went on Kaiju weekly to talk about (laughs) Uh, Godzilla versus Megalon. Yep. But it was really only because there was a monster named Megalon in his script <laughs> oh. <laughs> for Godzilla versus Gigan. Yeah. He also gets accredited for uh, co-credited for the script to Godzilla versus Hedera, but it was changed so much in the final film that it made him mad. 
<laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And he came to a very tragic end, apparently. Aw. Yeah. In 1988. If you want to hear about that, Danny DeMann and I did a presentation at G-Fest a few years ago about him and Sekizawa. You can find that presentation, a video version of the presentation, I should say, on the podcast YouTube channel. So we'll move on from there. So, got all of that stuff going on. But then, you want to talk about escalation. So originally we thought it was a murder mystery. Nope, it's the ugly gross bug monsters. Oh, wait. The ugly gross bug monsters that were already horrible to deal with? They're a snack compared to the real threat. <laughs> or rather, yeah. they are a snack for the real threat. Because guess what happens when we see Rodan... Well, not for the first... Well, was it the first time? Yeah, I think it was for the yeah, first time. Yeah, it was the first time he comes He comes out of the egg and he has the Mega Nulon for breakfast. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you establish the threat level of your antagonist. Take the thing that was already giving the protagonist a hard time and make it lunch. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, can we, can we just talk about real quick how cute baby Rodan is? He is kind of adorable, isn't he? He's so cute and chubby. Oh, <laughs> it was Toho's first giant egg, too, because this is a full, what, six? It was five years before Mothra. Oh, yeah, that's right. First giant egg. Yeah, so we get and, to see baby Rodan for and a minute. He, and, and, and apparently Rodans grow very quickly. <laughs> yeah, like, like, what's the time span between, like, Shigeru coming out of the mine and, and then regaining his memory? Like, what? yeah. Uh, he got big really fast. <laughs> yeah. But it's just one of those things you, you learn to go with it. It's the pseudoscience of kaiju films. <laughs> yeah. Just like a throwaway line in the dub where like, oh, they, he might have been fully grown when they hatched. Well, he doesn't look fully grown. He looks like a little chubby baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except I don't know very many babies who are going to... Actually, there probably are babies who would eat bugs. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> babies will eat anything that they're not supposed to eat. <laughs> yeah, so then we get to Rodan, and like I already hinted at, Rodan looks better in this than he will for a long time. Not until Godzilla, King of the Monsters in 2019. Because, and, oh my gosh, I wish they had, Toho had kept this design throughout the rest of the Showa era because, my gosh, he is magnificent. <laughs> yeah, he looks this. fantastic, yeah. Oh, it's such a great looking suit. Such a, he looks fierce. He looks mean. He's a nice kind of a, like a brownish red tint, which really pops in in this film because it's the first Toho's first kaiju film in color. It was mm -hmm. originally intended to be black and white, but they made it color. And yeah, I'm glad they did. Yeah, now it doesn't utilize color as extravagantly as say the Mysterians, which was the next year. But mm -hmm. there are points where the color does really pop the yellow helmets or the uh, kind of disturbing scene where they show the fighter pilot's helmet covered in blood after it had, yeah, after he had a yeah, confrontation that's, that's a with Rodan. Yeah. Even as a kid, I was like, ooh, that's kind of disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> Just blood all over that helmet. Uh, again, mm. you can probably thank Kimura for that. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Because yeah, <laughs> like I said, this is very much in tone, shall we say, with Godzilla 54. In a lot of ways. But it's also mm -hmm. very much its own thing. It is not strictly just a retreading of Godzilla 54, which I think is very nice. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I like the story in this one and everything about this movie is pretty cool. They've got some unique elements. And like, I think that this is the only movie where we see two Rodans. Yeah. Yeah. There's two Rodans in this. He gets a mate, which leads yeah. to a very interesting ending. I know we're kind of jumping ahead, but we're talking about Rodan. So yeah. we get to the end. After all the stuff that has happened, you know, with the in, with Rodan inexplicably f- flying at supersonic speeds because kaiju, mm-hmm. <laughs> he even leaves an yeah. exhaust trail, which makes no sense because that would require that he was <laughs> he was jet powered. <laughs> if you watch my review on this movie on my YouTube channel, I splice in that's the surrender Dorothy scene from the Wizard of Oz. Because <laughs> 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 that's what it reminded me of. <laughs> I am totally height memeing that. <laughs> Rodan says surrender Dorothy. <laughs> Uh, but anyway again you just go with it otherwise you have to go to some very weird places like roger ebert's theory as to what powers gamera oh yeah Mm. (laughs) (laughs) anyway moving on so um, yeah all the all that destruction which by the way the destruction sequences in this are fantastic you oh know, yeah with, with all of and the, one, it's well, the part that always sticks out to me is the one where the part where the the one of the army people are like holding onto the pole and the poles like being blown oh, away gosh. It's, it's, yeah I, I love that part I don't yeah. know why. i actually that always, that always stuck out to me yeah i actually found out that uh, some of the things that they did in this like you know like the shingles getting pulled off on the building that was actually inspired by a crewman's memories of typhoon moroto from 1934 so it had some real life inspiration there. But yes, so mm. yeah, and that you know it was good because this got reused the stock footage for a while. <laughs> oh yeah, it did. <laughs> Every time Rodan showed up again. That oh, might be look. why it stuck out to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh look, stock footage. That, that looked good. Use it again. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. But then we get to another impressive special effect with the Mount I, I don't know if it's Aso or Aso. I go back and forth. I feel like it's pronounced Aso. Uh, we'll go with Aso. That makes the most sense. So when the, with the yeah. second Rodan, which in the Japanese version of the movie, because this did get re-edited a little bit for the dub mm-hmm. version. And in the Japanese version, the second Rodan just shows up. I remember that there was an explanation in the dub version. Because you and I actually, as just to do a point of comparison, we watched two different versions of the film. Mm-hmm. When you came to visit today, I watched the mm-hmm. Japanese, you watched the dub. So w- remind me, what was the explanation for the second Rodan? Did they explain it? I don't know if they explain it really. They just say it has a mate and that's, that's the end of it. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> I remember. It's been a while since I watched but the dub. I, I could, I could be re- I, like, I mean, I just watched it, but like, like I said, my brain has been mush and it's going to be mush for the next like week or so. But yeah, I just don't, I don't think, I don't remember. Yeah. You, uh, yeah. You're a little cruise and coming to visit the island. is just part of a very long and full itinerary that you are doing right now. Yeah. I've had a busy week, man. It's crazy. (laughs) Anyway. So, uh, you know what, Jimmy, if, uh, if there is an explanation, put it in your blog. Anyway. But I want to talk. But I bring up the uh, the dub because 
this is kind of one of the rare instances where I do feel like the dub version actually does it better. Because we get to the end, and both Rodan's air quotes die because retcons happen later. <laughs> oh, of course. So there's of a volcanic course, eruption. Kaiju, you can't just, you know, kill him. No, no, you can't. Come on. Well, yeah. Although I've heard some people theorize yeah. that maybe that was an egg that was still in the mountain and it hatched, got out. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, there was a throwaway line like, oh, there's more eggs and they must be destroyed. Well, but that is they, true. They never show any other eggs. That so, is true. Yeah. So Rodan egg theory confirmed. <laughs> there you go. But so you got the two Rodans flying around. And they decide that the best way to deal with this is to cause a volcanic eruption, despite the fact that there were some people saying, like, yes, are do. you sure that's a good idea? <laughs> because you might be destroying our <laughs> livelihood because it's going to damage the environment. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a line on the dub. Think about the people, the women, the children, which immediately reminded <laughs> me of a running joke that I have going on for the children. <laughs> for the children. Yeah, like it's, during your holiday stream. That was great. <laughs> for the children. Yeah. For the children. Yeah. Now, admittedly, I do think if this was made now, they, that, they would have made a much bigger deal about the townsfolk saying like, hey, if you destroy the environment, you're going to destroy our livelihoods. Because they basically yeah, get, but in the dub they're they're yeah they're basically like yeah no don't don't worry about it we got we got this don't you're you'll be fine yeah and yeah, then just cut, yeah. cut to the final scene mm-hmm. yeah they're basically told like hey if we don't know what else to do with Rodan and if he keeps running around it's gonna keep destroying things and we can't have that so it's one of those things it's it's kind of like Godzilla fifty four in that regard where it's a little bit ambivalent about all these things and it's presenting how difficult decisions have to be made about these things. And unfortunately, they decide that, well, we have to do this in order to stop Rodan. But anyway, so they cause a volcanic eruption. And by the way, I read in my research that the lava that we see in here, you know how Subaraya made the lava? How'd he make the lava? Boiling oatmeal. Huh. How does one get lava from boiling oatmeal? No, that's what he used to simulate it. He boiled oatmeal. Oh, okay. I was about to say, I'm like, like, wait, what? <laughs> I'll, I'll be, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so the volcano is erupting, the fumes are flying up, and well, it seems like if anybody talks about this, they seem to think it was the female Rodan that, that succumbed first, but she succumbs to the fumes, falls down into the lava, and then the male just throws himself down there. My love, no, I shan't live without you. <laughs> It's very Shakespearean, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, the Rodan version. <laughs> In fact, uh, our resident lawyer here on the island, Raymond Martin, when I told him that I would be watching Rodan and covering it on the show, he sent me a meme that said, the two Rodans, still a better love story than Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything's a better love story than Twilight. Well, most things. Anyway. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Except for a certain 50 things. But... <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> no, Jimmy, I will not dignify that book series with a mention. Anyway. So. <laughs> falls down there. And actually, the narration really punctuates it. I did watch that scene again. It's been a while, like I said, since I've seen the dub version. 
And the problem that you run into with narration is that it can over-explain things. See Godzilla rates yeah, again that's... as an example. Banana yeah. oil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Like for the first like 10 or 15 minutes of the dub, like the narration just does not stop. And like like the like movie doesn't shut up for like like a good while into the movie like it's like like oh i'm in this we're in this town and we're in a mining community and like oh i'm planning to bury this chick and then like, <laughs> just like, <laughs> let, let us like just let us let us watch what's going on show don't tell that's like one of the main rules of filmmaking okay mm-hmm. just like stop talking for just a second (laughs) this is why most people don't like the theatrical version of blade runner Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yeah i agree with you when when you say that the narration actually enhances the final scene because you know it adds some humanity to the rodans you actually Mm -hmm. feel sorry for them when you see that they can't live without each other it's actually really sweet yeah it's much more implicit in the Japanese version, but the narration makes it clear that the other Rodan simply could not live without his mate. So he threw himself into the lava. It's actually a very Jap. It seems like a very Japanese thing to do <laughs> in a weird way. Yeah. <laughs> Can't live without you. Oh, so- and I, I read this, I read this fun fact somewhere that that little part where the, one of the Rodans looks like, looks like he's trying to make one last effort to escape. Mm-hmm. That was actually a mistake. Like Subaru yes. was trying to reel in the, the suit or the pup or whatever, but he dropped it, but it looked good. So they kept it in. Yep. I was going to bring that up. I read that in several places. Like one of the most touching moments in the movie was an accident, a literal <laughs> accident. <laughs> but they're like, you know what? We can use it. We can save it. We can call it a happy accident. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a happy yeah. accident. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a happy accident. Yes. <laughs> There's another hype meme. A happy accident. And if- I'm just imagining in a, the, the exilian controller with Bob Ross fro. <laughs> a happy accident. <laughs> There's another hype meme for you. That might end up being the same one. <laughs> oh my gosh. I am, that is going to be the best Photoshop ever. <laughs> <laughs> keep your finger off that button jimmy <laughs> let me have my fun <laughs> anyway so yeah it, it, so it's a wonderful little sequence and the narration adds to it so like it couldn't they couldn't live without each other and it's it doesn't undermine the scene because that's the thing that's unique about japanese monster movies they create sympathy for the monsters in American films, they don't really do that. Other than, I would say, King Kong. And King Kong might have been a little bit by accident. I'm not sure. Probably not. But most of the time, like, if you look at 50s monster movies, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, Them, there's no sympathy for the monsters. None at all. This one? No, like, the, the movie literally, it just immediately ends as soon as the monster's dead. Like, like oh, the monster's dead. Yay, the end. Yeah, basically. You're talking about Beast? Mm-hmm. Okay. For sure. But in this one, there's pathos. In fact, there was so much pathos, I actually read that Honda's son, Ryuji, cried when he saw this part of the movie. Aww. Yeah. He said he felt sympathetic to the Rodans, and he was mad at 
humankind for killing them. <laughs> That's sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So, since we're on the subject of Rodan, I did find some interesting facts about his name. It comes from Taranadon. They combined two syllables from that. And you might be thinking, but wait, Rodan, Taranadon, how does that work? Well, let me tell you. In Japan, they call him Radon. Mm-hmm. Which is a little bit yeah, weird when, they- when you're hanging out with a bunch of Japanese guys and they're saying Radon and everybody else is saying Rodan. Although, did you know there's actually a couple of dubs that still call him Radon? Yeah, and Godzilla versus Mega Godzilla 2, they call him Radon. Uh-huh. Radon. Yeah. <laughs> Radon. That sounds like a silly 90s catch. Radon. <laughs> Radon. Yeah. <laughs> Put a, I'll make a meme with a with Rodan with a backwards Rodan hat. During the, the, the metal horns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Radon. Uh, Radon. Yeah. Oh my god, we're in a rock star <laughs> mood today, apparently. But anyway, oh yeah. So, <laughs> so he's called Radon in Japanese. Well, that name ended up getting changed for a couple of reasons. They just switched the vowels, you know. So it's Rodan, which sounds like an, a famous sculptor now. You know, Rodan. There's. <laughs> There's that, yeah. I remember. I remember seeing a joke in Family Matters back in the day where some, where they did that. Like somebody said, "Oh, that's." It was like uh, one of the kids was in art class, and it's like, it's like, "Oh, wh- what was your inspiration for this piece?" Oh, it was, uh, it, it was Rodan. It reminds me of Rodan. And they're like, "Oh, yeah, uh, really? I didn't think it looked like a Japanese, a giant Japanese flying monster or something like that." I'm <laughs> just like, "Ah, I got that reference." <laughs> but like, ah, I understood that reference. Yeah, I understood that reference. <laughs> but anyway. So they switched it because I and I I've not seen anyone else talk about this. But I remember reading years ago that part of the reason they changed it is apparently there is a brand of soap in Britain. Jimmy may have to confirm this for me. A brand yeah, of soap in Britain called Radon. But I read about that somewhere. Yeah, but it's also because there is a deadly gas called radon. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's a lot like carbon monoxide. If it gets into your house, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, that's not a good time for anybody, no. Yeah, so... Did they think people were going to ingest movie into their, you know, lungs or something? Yes. Breathe in the I wouldn't, put it, I wouldn't put it past some people. <laughs> <laughs> they get their brand new Blu-ray copy of this movie. They open it up and then they just huff it like Michael does his vinyl figures when he opens them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jimmy, I know you approve of me teasing Michael. Who wouldn't approve of teasing Michael? <laughs> I approve of teasing Michael. <laughs> there you go, Michael. You can't do anything about it when Kim says it's okay. <laughs> For I am the queen. Yeah, the kaiju queen has spoken. <laughs> she is the original Mama Gone. You going to do anything about it? <laughs> uh, yeah. What were we talking about again? Rat on. <laughs> There we go. That's yeah, the one. right on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I also read that he, uh, that he was also, despite the fact that they ended up going with the Pteranodon, which apparently wasn't quite like how Rodan is designed. Oh well, uh, <laughs> everyone's changing their <laughs> theories about dinosaurs nowadays. Even with our competition, yeah. Jurassic Park, making more of them. You know, they're, they're <laughs> just a dinosaur factory at this point. <laughs> 
<laughs> but anyway, the he was inspired by the Archaeopteryx, which is a flying dinosaur. That was the initial inspiration. Although, speaking of inspirations, I got to tell you this, Kim. I think I mentioned this a little bit to you on your way here. Did you know that the script for Rodan was actually inspired by a UFO? Uh, yeah, you did mention that to me, and I looked it up. Ooh! And I was very interesting. Oh, what did you find out? See. All right, so there's something called the Mentel UFO incident, in which on January 7th, 1948, I'm reading directly off Wikipedia. Okay. No, no, no cap. Okay, 25-year-old Captain Thomas F. Montel, a K- Kentucky Air National Guard pilot, died in a crash of his P-51 Mustang fighter plane near Franklin, Kentucky, United States, after being sent in pursuit of an unidentified flying object. And this unidentified flying object ended up being something called a skyhook balloon. Oh. Which I looked up skyhook balloons, and they were developed by Odo C. Winson and General Mills. (laughs) The the cereal company? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the cereal company. So when I saw that, I immediately thought maybe there could have been a cereal tie in with this film. Like, we, you know, we could have, we could have gotten, like, Honey Nut Radons or Rodan Puffs. <laughs> or, or, you know what? Maybe Rodan could have been the mascot for Cocoa Puffs. Imagine oh, that. That would have been amazing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm cuckoo for Rodan Puffs. <laughs> oh, someone Photoshop it. <laughs> uh, what, was that, what was that, Jimmy? What was that, Jimmy? Good idea. We'll send that to the board immediately. Sounds like a wonderful new product to have here on the island. Rodan Puffs. I am totally behind this. <laughs> uh, but th- that is actually amusing. You, uh, I actually didn't see anything in my research about the balloon. That's a good find there. Now, I will tell you that the quote-unquote official story, because, you know, the conspiracy theorists out there are not going to believe anything. <laughs> <laughs> any of the official stories but the, the official story is that he blacked out from oxygen deprivation at twenty five thousand feet uh yeah i that that was in the the thingy yeah his death is still listed as undetermined which is a little odd huh yeah but that's weird yeah but that story actually inspired a lot of interest in flying saucers and ufos in the 1950s, which, I mean, you just have to look at most 1950s science fiction films to see that. So, <laughs> But that was actually not the first UFO sighting. The first UFO sighting was actually a year before that, June 24th, 1947, by a guy named Kenneth Arnold. That's all I really know. I don't know what the context was for that. But it's not terribly important to this film. But yes... Rodan, inspired by a UFO. So does that mean Rodan is a UFO? I guess technically he is because he was a flying object. I mean, they object. referred to him as a UFO before he's like, yeah. I yeah, mean, got yeah. In. He was a flying object and was unidentified. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Rodan uh, was at one point a UFO. There you go. There you go. But I do, I do, this is something I do want to make sure I mention. We talked about how this is a pretty dark film. Then, you know, we talked about the crazy grossness that is the Mega Nulon. 
one of the things I really like mm-hmm. about this is that it very much feels like a horror movie at the start of it. In the mind, it's very claustrophobic. Reminds me a lot of Alien. Have you seen Alien? I have. I've seen parts of it. Okay. I yeah. haven't seen it all the way through. Yeah, but that's still it's a very similar idea. It's a very enclosed space, very claustrophobic, and there's something in that space that's trying to catch our protagonist. Or perhaps in some ways it's also kind of like Jaws, a lot of suspense buildup. And, I mean, you even have that scene where one of the miners gets caught by the Mega Nulon when he's half underwater, and then mm-hmm. the Mega Nulon grabs him, and he just yeah. screams and gets pulled under. That's creepy. I, I love that scene. It's like, it just like, you're not expecting it because up until, up until that point, like I said, like the movie doesn't shut up. But then when it gets to that <laughs> scene, it's like ridiculously quiet. It's like, like there's no music. It's just them going through the mines. And then all of a sudden it just goes, ah, <laughs> I'm like, oh, look, oh crap, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. And the other thing that's, uh, I think is noteworthy about this. And I was surprised to see it again this time around was how, international this actually gets for a moment because we hear other people in other countries reacting to the appearance of rodan oh yeah that does happen Mm -hmm. so we see someone in beijing we see an american soldier in okinawa which okinawa becomes a big deal in godzilla films later (laughs) oh how about that yeah and just so I can toot my own horn and a wonderful publication and project out there that a couple of our friends are doing, in the very, very first issue of Kaiju Ramen Magazine, I wrote an article about Okinawan culture and its connections to Godzilla. Very nice. Yes. So we see a soldier in the base uh, at a U.S. military base because at this point, Okinawa still belonged to the United States. And they had military bases there. They still have military bases there. And I like to look at this as being an expression of Honda's pacifism and humanism. He had a a lot of interest. And if you you see it in a lot of his films, he has an international flavor to everything that he does. You know, if you watch Mysterians, it's about the world banding together and battling the Mysterians. Monster Zero is similar to that as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's basically talking about how Japan is part of a larger global community, which is interesting at this point in Japanese history, you know, just over a decade after the war. In fact, when I covered this movie in my previous podcast life, the thing that we talked about was Japan joining the United Nations, which actually happened, I think, not too long after this movie came out. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I've already talked about that in my episode on the Mysterians. So if you want to know more about Japan joining the UN, go listen to that. (laughs) (laughs) But what's interesting is that all the countries that are shown in this montage are both friendly and unfriendly to Japan. Huh. You know, like China. China doesn't like Japan, but they get shown in this. Does China like anybody? They like people's money. But <laughs> um, <laughs> slow no then. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> but it's an interesting choice. And you know, it's again a very Honda thing to do because in Mysterians he has the United States and the Soviet Union getting along. Who does that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but we talked about how uh, you know Rodan was Rodan was eating the Mega Nulon. You know what else he does? He eats cattle. And it's implied that he uh, eats people. Oh, yeah. That 
those poor, poor honeymooners. Oh, those poor. Oh, oh, that was a, such a good time. That was a haunting scene too. <laughs> yeah, that was really well done. That we you just see the camera and the shoe left behind, and it's just like eerie. Yeah. Like, oh, 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 I gotta tell I. That shoe, the talk about the shoe, because there's the next scene that's the police are talking about it because people are trying to say, oh, I bet it was just a double suicide. And they're like, no, this wasn't a suicide because why would they leave the camera and one shoe behind? And yeah. that sent me down a research rabbit hole. Jimmy can attest to this. I didn't come out of, <laughs> of my little study room at the Sekizawa library for a while because I had to find out about this because that whole, the whole concept about people leaving their shoes behind just before committing suicide is a thing in Japanese media. You'll see it in anime. You even see it. It goes by really fast. It's really implicit, but you'll even see it in Shin Godzilla right at the beginning of the movie when they go on the boat where they think the scientist is. And then Mm -hmm. they find out that he had committed suicide. Yeah. Now, the essay I found started off by saying, hey, why does this happen? Well, let me give you a long crash course in Japanese history and culture and then tell you why they do that. I'm like, oh, good Lord. <laughs> but basically, to summarize it. The, yes, the, give us the abridged version. Yeah, the Japanese, and there's so much, there's a lot of interesting detail to go with this, but basically, the Japanese remove their shoes as to not bring impurities into their homes. So if you go to a a Japanese house or if you watch a lot of Japanese media, people take their shoes off right before they get into the house. They just, they don't take it in there. I actually adopted that custom for my apartment. Ah, there you go. It's done partly because of religious beliefs and, you know, a lot of other, and as a show of respect and all of that. This became connected to seppuku, which was ceremonial suicide as practiced by the samurai. And then the other reason why this is a thing is because for the Japanese, the barriers between the physical world and the spiritual world are a heck of a lot thinner compared to how most Westerners and Europeans think. That's why the partitions in Japanese homes are actually very thin as opposed to the thick walls that you'll see in Westerners' homes. So all of that to say, mm-hmm. because the, the bears are, are smaller and they remove their shoes as to not bring in impurities, when samurai would commit seppuku, they would remove their shoes in order to avoid taking impurities with them into the afterlife. Huh, interesting. Mm-hmm. But since there was only one shoe, the police officer said, nope, this wasn't a suicide. Because <laughs> it has to be both <laughs> shoes. Yeah. So there you go. A little bit of cultural enlightenment that I'm sure Kyo Itoshi will write it and tell me I got it at least half wrong. <laughs> that's how she works. That's how she works. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I like how in the dub, like... Some at some at some points where like when the um, what's his name Kashiwagi the scientist yes. is yeah. explaining about the mega nulon uh, uh, Akihiko like, Harada playing another scientist but this time without an eye patch 
Yes. <laughs> so Dr. Sarah Zara sounds sans the eye patch talking about the mega Nulon, and then the movie just kind of gets bored with the explanation and it, like it literally fades to black as he's talking. <laughs> so I, I just found that amusing. <laughs> it's so like, the movie got bored. It's like, all right, the movie is having flashbacks to boring biology professors in college. <laughs> it's zoning out. <laughs> like, all right, that's enough of that it happens a couple of times too like every time there's a scientific explanation about the monsters it just fades to black and then yeah. cuts to the this next is scene. not important also we didn't write anything <laughs> 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 well and since we're talking about akihiko harado we need there's another face in this another familiar face that we have to talk about because this is one of his first movies and that's kenji sahara aka the man crush of david from kaiju apostle and saved by the belial (laughs) 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 this like i said this was his very first movie he had barely started acting at this point this was his first big role and he took it oh my goodness he took it very very seriously to say that he kind of took a method acted a method acting approach to this would be an understatement oh i don't think he smiled once in this entire film does he crack a smile like i mean there's not much to smile about in the movie but still like yeah he's a really good actor oh yeah that's for sure even at this point Oh, and don't you mean Kenji Sawara, according to the American credits? (laughs) And this movie was directed by Inoshiro Honda. Oh, that was a very common mistake made by those things. Why do they do it? They add letters that aren't there. (laughs) There's a reason for it, but I forget what it is. It's a mistranslation. This is how seriously he took this role. He actually went and studied the causes of memory loss and would intentionally unfocus his eyes. This is stuff he would do between takes. He would unfocus his eyes and whip himself into a paranoid state. Interesting. Yeah. He got so into it one time, he actually kicked a table, bruised himself, and ripped his pants. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Honda was impressed. (laughs) I'm impressed. (laughs) You know, uh, but here's another fun one. He married his co-star. Oh, really? Yeah. Yumi Shirakawa, his in-movie girlfriend in this, they got married. Oh, that's so cute. Mm-hmm. They look cute together. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Although she does spend most <laughs> of the movie crying. <laughs> Yeah, I mentioned that she. Does. <laughs> it's just like uh, she's kind of useless, but she. Does, for, to be fair, she does. She is kind of the one who helps Shigeru regain his memory, but her usefulness ends after that. Yeah, yeah. Now, how did you feel about the whole amnesia thing? I, I, I think it added an interesting element to the movie and the story, and just like, oh, what happened? It's like it creates like a little bit of mystery. Like he, you see him like in the rock slide, and then like almost the next scene later or a scene or two later, then he, you see him again. And it's like, Whoa, what happened to you? And he doesn't, he can't tell you because he can't freaking remember. So mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting. It creates a little mystery. Yeah. I remember early on when I had seen this, I wondered if the amnesia subplot was even necessary watching it again, this time understanding how Japanese storytelling and such works Considering that this is, you know, it's very much an ensemble, and then halfway through, at once Rodan shows up and Shigeru gets his memory back, 
none of those characters really do anything. They basically become bystanders. Uh, yeah. Although in the original script, funny enough, there was only ever one Rodan and Shigeru would have actually helped take Rodan out by dynamiting Mount Aso. <laughs> Oh, interesting. Yep. Uh, so there you go. So he would have been a little bit more involved at one point. But yeah. But now I understand why it's in there and it actually makes sense. It, it happens early enough in the movie that it doesn't feel out of place. Because when you're writing a script, you want to have your inciting incident about 20 minutes in, and it happens around the 20-minute mark. After Shigeru gets his nice hero moment with the minecart showing short round how to do it. <laughs> it was a little Indiana Joneses, I have to admit. <laughs> yeah, but he's very much like a typical Honda protagonist, particularly at this point in his filmmaking career. He's not some big dang hero. He's very much an ordinary person who can be easily hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I have something in my notes here about another line in the dub. I'm paraphrasing here, but because of his size, Rodan generates destruction with all the force of a great typhoon. (laughs) (laughs) That has the Jimmy seal of approval. I heard that line. I immediately thought of that song, and I'm just like, "Yes, <laughs> yes, I need to mention that." Oh, that is that is totally going to be a hype meme. That is that is the perfect <laughs> recipe for hype meme right there. Oh, I forgot to mention as we were talking about the mining town, there were some real life incidents that actually contributed to this. The mining town that they're in, which by the way, there is no coal mine on Mount Aso. They made that up. But there was the mm-hmm. Mitsui Mike coal mine in Kyushu. And mm-hmm. it, it was very instrumental in Japan's post-war growth. Well, just a few years before this, in 1952, that mine made headlines because 282,000 miners went on strike over wages. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. And then that's, in that's 19... Of, uh, hmm. Yes. And then in 1953, 25,000 protesters came to, well, protest <laughs> over layoffs at the mine. <laughs> and then there's a scene in this movie that foreshadows. <laughs> it's something that happens later <laughs> because there was a cave-in <laughs> at this mine in 1963. Oh, my. Yikes. Yep. And Mr. Kellett, I mentioned Mr. Kellett earlier. He actually argued that the Meganula, Meganuron, depending on how you want to say it, he thinks were representative of the sorts of things that were faced by miners. And he mentioned things like, what was it, the creeping floor phenomenon? I'm not sure what that is. You might have to look that up for me, Jimmy, <laughs> for your blog. I don't know what that is. It sounds like the title of a horror movie, The Creeping Floor. <laughs> Oh, yeah, The Creeping Floor. Yeah, it does. There's a film that you can work on because I know you're working on short films. Now make The Creeping Floor. (laughs) All right, I'll add that to my list of projects that I've started but haven't finished yet. (laughs) There you go, The Creeping Floor. (laughs) And also for floods, which we do have a flood in this one too, which I think is, that makes sense because they're all, because they're, you know, they're in a mine and they're wreaking havoc in the mine. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. Another thing that was in the original draft of the mo- of the script, Rodan was going to get shot down by American fighters in Okinawa. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Also, in the dub version, since you've been bringing up the dub version, have you ever watched any Star Trek? I have. Then you might have recognized one of the voices. George Takei. Ah, yes. George Takei. (laughs) Sulu. (laughs) Oh, my. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) Yeah, uh, one of his first ever acting gigs was dubbing this movie. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that little fact. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Although most of the, like, Shigeru was dubbed by Key Luke. And they also mm-hmm. worked on the dub for Gigantus, the fire monster. Gigantus, the fire monster. <laughs> yeah, that movie. I have my I have my feelings about that. <laughs> yeah, but that's another, that's another topic for another Put it on oil! Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I should have mentioned this. I should have mentioned this when we were talking about Rodan snacking on the Mega Nulon. You know whose idea that was? Whose idea was Akira that? Akira Kurosawa. Really? That was his idea. He read the script and he said, hey, you really want to show Rodan's power? Have him eat the Mega Nulon. Wow. It makes sense because him and Honda were best friends. So, Oh, that's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking a bit about some of the themes in this. I've read that both Honda and Subaraya were of the opinion that when man comes into conflict with nature, neither one of them win. You see that in this film and you see that in a lot of their other movies. Yeah, that is true. Mm-hmm. And Callot, because he's a crazy academic like me who wants to bring stuff like this up, he, uh, he wrote in his essay on this film that the film depicts modern civilization invading nature to fuel its expansion, sweeping aside old cultures. The monsters are a response to that. So they're nature's response to this expansion. And... He actually said that there are some people that theorize that kaiju uh, emerging from the ground, which Rodan does because he was in a a mountain, uh, could suggest a fear by the Japanese that their world is fragile. Ooh, that's Mm -hmm. deep. Yeah. Yeah. Some more fun facts for you. So we know Nakajima, Haro Nakajima, our boy Haro Nakajima, he played Rodan in this. Mm Mm-hmm. And he almost died. (laughs) Oh, no. When they were flying him around with wires, it's uh, one of them snapped and he fell three and a half feet. Yikes. I'm just thinking like, and it's a hundred pound suit too, by the way, that road answer weighed a hundred pounds. Can you imagine just face planting (laughs) with an extra hundred pounds on top of you? Oh, ow. No, thank you. Yeah. That sounds very painful. Yeah. Did he lose consciousness? Uh, probably not. He actually only really injured himself once making a movie, and it was for Varan. Oh. All the rest of the time, okay. all the crazy things he did, he never injured himself except on Varan. <laughs> and that was because there's a scene in Varan where they set a bunch of rockets off right underneath him, and he took them to the crotch. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh, ow. That actually burned him. I don't even have. <laughs> have anything down there and like i'm feeling secondhand pain from that <laughs> sympathy pains <laughs> that's some uh, real sympathy pains right there and 
No, Jimmy, you will not make the dirty jokes. We are a family show. Anyway, moving on. Uh, <laughs> th- uh, this also has an Easter egg. Did you see the Easter egg? A little inside joke that Subaraya threw in. While the Rodans are destroying the city, uh, there's a camera store, and it's called Subumaya. Oh. Oh, I got it. <laughs> Instead of Subaraya, it's I Subumaya. Noticed that. I didn't either. Now I want to go back and see it. Oh, <laughs> uh, and Honda was quoted. Like I saw that it said camera. Yeah, and Subaraya. Oh, not Subaraya. Honda was quoted as saying that people thought the that he thought that the miniatures were so good that people thought they were real. Oh wow! I think that's uh, what they were going for. So mission accomplished. Yeah, that people thought they actually rented all that equipment from the JSTF. Oh no. Oh, we didn't talk about the score. What'd you think? Well, you uh, we, you watched the dub version, so most of Afuka Bay's score got taken out. But a lot of the music that's uh, yeah, a lot of the music that Ifukube made comes back in a lot of later movies. He was fond of recycling the good stuff. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, and the soundtrack. Yeah, I, I haven't seen the Japanese version in a long time, but it, I like the soundtrack in that one better. It's it's it, uh, like the. Japanese version is better overall, except for the ending. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I missed I missed the classic Ifukube scores mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the dub. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I said, if yeah, it's a good solid Ifukube score. You can't go wrong there. But you want to know what's a very telling sign about Ifukube playing favorites? One of the tracks mm-hmm. that he made for this movie is called Rodan Get 'Em. Rodan get him. <laughs> That's the actual title. Yes. I love it. I love everything about that. <laughs> Rodan get him. <laughs> that sounds like Rodan what, get him. <laughs> sounds like what you do when you have Rodan as your guard dog. <laughs> Rodan get him. The music mu- boy. <laughs> yeah, and then the music starts playing. <laughs> I love it. And then and then his treats are the Mega Nulon. There you go. <laughs> Good boy. Have a uh, have a mega nula. <laughs> Good boy. Uh, Good boy. <laughs> Kim's sitting here thinking, he's like, I want a pet Rodan. Can I have a pet Rodan? Hey, honey, can I have a pet Rodan? I'm going to text my fiance. Honey, I want a pet Rodan. Get me a baby one. They're so cute. <laughs> Wedding present. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here. That, you I heard it here. The mega Nulon and then the, I don't want it. <laughs> yeah, you heard it here, Mister uh, Kaiju Kim's fiance, Pet Rodan. Hashtag Pet Rodan. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Pet Rodan. Pet Rodan for Kim. That's what. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there you go. Well, that's most of the cool stuff that I have on this movie. Do you have anything else before we move on? I was taking notes as I was watching the movie, and I just took a couple of notes on the like some of the silly lines. Like one of them was like a mishurt line that they were probably saying something along those like scramble something, but I heard scrambled dumplings. <laughs> I was like, what? Scrambled dumplings? What? <laughs> we'll add that to the list of potential band names, because that sounds like a band name. Scrambled dumplings. <laughs> we are sounds the like a scrambled dumplings. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, and then 
a silly line from, I think it was one of the generals, like after the Rodans are done, you know, screwing up Tokyo or wherever they are, they say, the Rodans did this. And I'm just like, you think? <laughs> who, do you, who else do you think done it? There's no other kaiju in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> There's just two Rodans. Well, Mega Nulons. But Mega Nulons aren't, uh, aren't doing that. Oh, well, yeah, but they're, they're eating. They're part of a complete breakfast. They're already eating. <laughs> <laughs> Mega Nulons, a part of this complete breakfast. <laughs> They're magically delicious. <laughs> I think you're making Jimmy hungry. <laughs> well, Jimmy, have some Mega Nulons. I don't know how good they taste. I mean, Rodan thinks they're delicious. Uh, I don't think serving Mega Nulon would be a great idea, but you may not want to say crazy things like that because our new boss, Cameron Winter, might actually make it happen. Now I'm a little terrified. Oh, okay. Moving on. My condolences. Yeah, yeah, trust me. We've been, I've gotten a few sympathy cards because of it. But yeah. What was that again, Jimmy? Really? You have tried Mega Nulon before. What's it taste like? Oh, really? Come on. That's what everybody says. Ugh. Come on, Jimmy. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> Any other funny lines? <laughs> Unintentionally funny lines? The one line that my parents always liked to make fun of is like when they first see the Megadulon in the house, they goes, um, Shigeru goes, help, help. There's a monster here. <laughs> just the way he says it is amusing i suppose <laughs> yeah <laughs> understatement much <laughs> that seems like a perfect note to end on actually yeah, <laughs> we gotta wrap things up here a little bit although this has been a great discussion thank you for coming on kim but I do want to talk oh, a little bit. Me. Yeah. I do want to talk a little bit about some listener feedback. I wanted to do some quick listener feedback here. The Monster Island Film Vault YouTube channel has been getting a little bit more attention the last few months. And I realized, you know what? I've got some comments from on there that I should probably bring up. So I've got a handful here I want to bring up. So back on episode 48, which was... The Tourist versus Gamera Guardian of the Universe, which has become a weirdly popular episode suddenly a few months after it got posted. That was interesting. There is a guy here with the brilliant username of No Name Commenter. And he says, I'm thinking all the money on Space Godzilla and Destroya went to those mech cockpit and war room sets. They're pretty elaborate compared to anything in Guardian. The war room in Destroya is especially extravagant. The level of detail in there is like the surface of a Star Destroyer. This He's bringing this up in reference to how I said that the effects in Gamma Guardian of the Universe look better than Space Godzilla and Destroya, and they were made on half the budget. <laughs> oh, yeah. So That was a good movie. Yeah. A Guardian? Yeah. Okay. Just, yeah, just, just well, wondering. Space Godzilla was good, too, but I think... I yeah, like I know. Better. You've got a soft spot for the, <laughs> for the Heisei era. And then on episode 43, which was on Godzilla 54, there is a, a user here by the name of Donna Brooks, who wanted to give us a little bit of information on the war crimes tribunals because we talked a bit about the war crimes tribunals. 
that happened in Japan right after the war. And she writes, the war crimes tribunals were like the Nuremberg trials. They weren't about Japanese militarism, but about their cruelty in dealing with POWs and civilians. See the rape of Nanking, the sadistic medical experiments of Unit 731, etc. Here's a good vid to introduce the topic and gives a link. So thank you very much, Miss Brooks, for sending me some more stuff to dive into and lose myself in researching these movies. <laughs> but yeah, Unit Seven. If he needs help, yeah. But Unit Seven Thirty One is not something that I've really talked about on the show. But it, oh man, Unit Seven Thirty One is horrifying to say the least. It was a Japanese military unit during World War II that would conduct biological and chemical warfare experiments on American POWs. Oh, dear. Actually, not just American. It was just allied POWs. It was horrifying. Just reading very brief factual descriptions of what they did to people it will make your stomach turn. It's, oh, man. Yikes. Yeah. But that might be an interesting thing to explore at some point. I'm just not sure which film it would apply to but but we'll see what happens going forward and then the big reason i wanted to bring these up is i have a comment here from neil reby who was a guest on the show during the year of gamera he came on to talk about zigra because who doesn't like kaiju sharks and bikini girls as <laughs> as luke jack and eddie would say <laughs> <laughs> yes jimmy i know you don't mind but he wrote in reference to episode 51 which was on gamera 2 attack of legion i'm detecting a pattern <laughs> I had my friend dallas mora on for that one he wrote this was a great podcast i learned a few things i did not know for instance i didn't know the suit actor for the zerum alien played legion and godzilla in gmk and i did not get the connection between the Legion flower and the giant flower in Ultra Q. Well, for what I remember about that episode, how could you not forget about that little fact because our resident mad scientist slash chief of special projects, a Dr. Dante Doroff, who apparently recently discovered Twitter, much to <laughs> the disturbance of everyone. Oh, dear. Yeah, came on and told us a little Yikes. bit about that. So there you go. Keep those YouTube comments a coming. And I uh, also, please send us some feedback emails. We love to get them. So if you would like to have your feedback read on a future episode of the show, listen through the credits to get our email address. We would love to hear from you. Getting feedback from our listeners is one of the best things about being a podcaster, as I'm sure it is for you as well, Kim, as a YouTuber. Indeed. Indeed it is. But now, Kim, I'm sure you remember this from when we did it before, it's now time for one of my favorite segments, and you know what that is? Is it the Patreon shout-out? Go show Travis Alexander! Michael Clifford as a kaiju, Hamilton! Danny Damana! Eli Harris! Chris Cook! Bex from Redeemed Otaku! Damon Noise! The Cellcast! Ted Williams! 
Eric Anderson. Tofu Fury. <laughs> Do you not feel more powerful, Kim? Do you feel even more like a kaiju queen now? <laughs> I am the most ultimate kaiju queen in all the universe. <laughs> uh, it's Morphin Time? I, no, wait, that's my other podcast. <laughs> Which is a great segue to go into, uh, uh, well, first I should say that you too, listeners, can get perks like this by joining MIFV Max on Patreon for as little as $3 a month. But... Now that we've got, now that we've done that, I need to let everybody know what our next episodes are going to be. Kim, guess what? Our new series, Amerikaiju, continues with Mighty Joe Young from 1949. Not the Disney remake, the original from 1949, the spiritual sequel to King Kong 33 that had both Ray Harryhausen and Willis O'Brien working on it. I just saw this movie for the Ooh, first time last summer, and I was shocked how good it was when I shouldn't have been. But it's fantastic. If you get a chance to see it, I highly recommend it. Awesome. Yes. And I'm hoping, we'll see how things go. It's going to be a lot of guests, but I'm hoping to get my original tourist crew going all the way back to episode two of the film vault, Nick Hayden, Timothy Deal, and Joe and Joy Metter to come back for that one because i feel like hey they helped me launch the show with king kong 33 i have to show them the spiritual sequel plus it's just makes sense to me yeah plus it's just a dang good movie but speaking of bex from redeemed otaku one of our patrons she's coming back next month in the next entry of godzilla redux because we're going to be talking Mothra, 1961. I've already had her on to talk some Mothra before, so I figured, you know what? It's only appropriate to bring her back. <laughs> Indeed. Yes, yes. Hey, I'm sure you've seen Mothra, 1961, right? I have indeed. Yeah, you like that one? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Do you like that or, Mo or Rodan more? I mean, I guess for nostalgia reasons, I'll say Rodan. Ah, because I didn't grow up with the Mothra. I I didn't even know Mothra had her own movie until like adulthood. I'm like, oh, Mothra has her own movie. Cool. Yeah, I was aware of it, but it was hard to find and see. And I was very happy when I finally did get to see it. Yeah, I, ma I managed to snag. A, is that Mill Creek? Yes. That, with the Blu-ray? Yeah, yes. I, I have that in my collection. So very happy about that. Oh, yes, as you should be. And now... We come to a very important segment of the show, the shameless self-promotion. And I've already hinted at it, so I'll mention it here. I have two other podcasts now because I'm insane. <laughs> so I have Henshin Men, which I co-host with Travis Alexander. That's about Henshin heroes. As we say in our tagline, a podcast that celebrates Japanese superheroes and their high-flying and high-kicking adventures. And I just recently... <laughs> launched another one with Michael canceled Hamilton <laughs> 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 called the power trip, a journey through the power Rangers franchise. So I highly recommend you seek those out and listen to them. They are relevant to your interests. And now I yield the floor to the Kaiju queen. <laughs> 
As you should. All right. So I am known as Kaiju Kim on YouTube. I have a show called Chill with Kaiju Kim that streams live on Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern time where I chill and talk with other members of the Kaiju community. And I will also be launching a new channel pretty soon where I'll be uploading my short film projects that I'll be making throughout this year and beyond. Some of the projects will be Kaiju related. Most of it will not be. But if you want to know more about that, you can follow me on Twitter at Kaiju Kim to stay up to date. And that is all. Really, Jimmy? No, I'm sorry. You don't have a face for YouTube. I'm sorry, Kim. He seems to think that everybody needs to interview him now. Yeah, no, that's not going to happen, Jimmy. Sorry. Oh, he's not too happy about that, but he'll get over it, you know? I'm sure he will. Yeah, he's a big boy. He'll get over it. He survived the war in space miraculously, so he can get over that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, thank you once again for stopping by, Kim. We need to do this again sometime. I may have to start looking at my schedule for upcoming episodes, see if I can work you back in, you know? Maybe if I can find the right Godzilla film. I know you're really fond of the Heisei series, so maybe once I get to the Heisei movies, I'll bring you back, you know? Oh, that'd be fun. I would love to talk about Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla 2. That's my favorite. Yeah. I've, I've thought about bringing you on for... Era. I've thought about bringing you on for Destroya because I know you have very strong opinions about Destroya. <laughs> ah, yes, Destroya. Uh, you, you were you were one of the people who saw that video of mine that before I uh, set it to private. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I didn't know. I didn't know. I'm sorry. It's, I might, it's okay. It's I, might, I can still talk about it, though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sorry. Well, anyway, in light of all of that, Jimmy, cue credits. Thank you for listening to The Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast produced and hosted by Nate Marchand. If you want to join the discussion and be heard on the show, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at feedback at monsterislandfilmvault.com. Our website is monsterislandfilmvault.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Monster Island Film Vault. And on Twitter, where our handle is at TheMonsterIsla1. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, and TikTok. Follow Jimmy from NASA on Twitter at NASA Jimmy and our many other colorful characters using the links in the show notes. The podcast logo was created by Tyler Souls from TylerDrawsComics.com. Our theme song is Wanderer on the Offensive, live edit by B33J, Serax, Juan Madrano, and Nonsensical Lexus, which is a remix of Counterattack, Battle with the Colossus, and The Opened Way, Battle with the Colossus, by Koatani from the video game Shadow of the Colossus. All film and audio clips belong to their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended or implied. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and or Podchaser to spread the word about the show. You can also support us by joining MIFV Max on Patreon. The Monster Island Film Vault is a Moonlighting Ninjas media production. Sayonara! Sayonara!